Okay, we are live on another episode of the Edlow Podcast. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. I'm excited for this one. I have Mr. J. Mr. J, how are you? I'm awesome. Thank you for asking. How are you? I'm doing great. So you have so many accolades. You are uh, MAT and ministry certified. You're a professional relationship coach, a certified betrayal trauma practitioner, certified special education teacher. You have a bachelor's in psychology. You've written children's books. You served in the military. Um, you're a public speaker. You're an activist. So many, an adoptive parent. You've got, you, you are a very interesting person. <laughs> well, thank you. And I appreciate that. Uh, but in all honesty, um, when the rubber hits the road, if I'm working with a client, they could care less about everything you just read. What they want to know is, can you understand where I've been and can you help me? So, yeah. you know, I, it's not, it's, I, I, I worked my butt off, don't get me wrong, for all of my sure. credentials, certifications, diplomas, degrees. Um, but, but, you know, it's interesting because um, when I'm with my clients, never once do they ask me my background. They'll, they just, you know, can you help me? I'm devastated. Can you help me? So, yeah. um, and I get the reason why it's important and all that stuff. But anyways, it's just, just something I was thinking is that, you know, ooh, okay, all, those all sound nice. But man, when the rubber hits the road, people just want to know, can you do something for me? I could care less what your background is, you know? So. Yeah. You know, it's funny you bring that up because um, I, I do a lot of mentoring for young attorneys. I'm an attorney by trade. And, and uh, you know, there a lot of the people, like I have law clerks who come in and work for me while they're in law school. And they're always stressed out about their grades. And I always tell them the same thing. I go, you know how many people have asked me what my GPA was? Zero. Right. You know, do you, you know how many people have asked me? I have a I have a trial ad, a trial advocacy certification and a business concentration. I'm like, you know who cares about that? Nobody. All they care about is here's my case. Can you help me and can you do good work? And it sounds like it's very similar for you. The I, I'm imagining you get a lot of um, you get a lot of uh, personal I guess, satisfaction in being able to help people in what seems to be probably one of the most difficult times in their lives. By far, um, I from ex, from from talking to the thousands I have, and um, I have learned that the journey of betrayal trauma, it, nothing else is more profoundly hurtful other than losing a child. Mm. And I've talked with couples who've experienced both. Um, some of some of which will say um, this was much harder to get over than losing my child. Wow. So this is devastating and it has impacts for many different reasons, which maybe we'll get into. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing that's interesting about betrayal trauma is that like it's not, you know, I've heard the phrase, uh, you never, you're never betrayed by an enemy. You know, when you, when you're betrayed, it's by somebody who's, who you've trusted. If it's in a relationship, in a relationship that's significant that you have to actually go through betrayal trauma therapy or, or coaching it's because it's somebody who's gotten incredibly close to you. And now it's not only that you can't trust that person, but you kind of can't trust yourself because you're like, I, I let this person in. I thought I was a good judge of character. And here now, am, am I, you know, it makes you start questioning all of your relationships. A hundred percent. And, you know, I tell people all the time, not only do you now feel unsafe in your relationship, the world around you is unsafe. You go to your job and you're you you feel unsafe with your boss, thinking, "Oh my gosh, is the next bomb gonna drop? I'm gonna get some news at work." Uh, for a lot of people, walking into the store, they feel unsafe. Um, it, you're, 
obviously there's a lot with this, but um, it's not just your relationships. Absolutely. It is the world around you feels un unpredictable and unsafe. And it that really uh, uh, dysregulates and disrupts every area of your body. It's like throwing a boulder in the middle of a pond and not, not expecting the ripple effect not to cover every area. Every inch of that pond is going to be affected. Every That's area of your life. The way you the way you actually brought that up that actually is interesting to me. So you said it it disrupts every part of your body. What do you mean by that? Like a physical manifestation? What do you mean? Well, absolutely. Like for instance, you know, uh, one of the things that I have people do couples if they want to reconcile. One of the many things I have them do is write an impact letter. Mm -hmm. And what I say is, I want you to really go into every category: spiritual, psych, you know, physical financial, emotional, and I want you to write how your behavior affected your partner. So for example, um, spiritual, I can't tell you how many times people had a very close relationship with God, their creator, what have you. And now they're like, well, wait a minute. I don't want a relationship anymore because I prayed for a faithful spouse and I thought God answered my prayer and now it wasn't. So now I want nothing to do with my creator. Financially, obviously, it costs money to talk to professionals. They're disrupted financially. Emotionally, now they have panic attacks. Many people never even experienced a panic attack before. They have nightmares now. Um, some people have to get on medication. Um, so in every area of your life, um, it, it's disruptive. You now, um, you look at life with a different pair of glasses that you never thought before. It, you, you look at life completely different. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because you can grow and evolve and mature and really look at life you know, in a lot of different ways, which doesn't don't always have to be bad, but you will now forever um, wear a different pair of glasses. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It's almost, uh, it sounds like it's almost a, uh, like being pushed into an alternate reality. We're all into these movies now, you know, the multiverse is huge in the Marvel universe, right? And and also in uh, Spider-Man and all these different things. And it's almost like you go from, from one place and then you're just kind of like shoved over to an alternate universe and you got no way to go back. There's, you're just, you're stuck there, you know? So it's, it's really interesting. Yeah, it's interesting because I'm, I'm, I shared with you off air, I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, known as Mormons. Um, you know, in the, in the layman's terms, I suppose. And uh, it's interesting how kind of a, how faith is, is so interconnected with these things, because it seems like just like what you said, they pray for a faithful spouse. And, you know, you, you sit there and you think like, well, my life is supposed to go this certain way. If I follow all the commandments or I, I have faith in God that, you know, everything is going to be okay. And then all of a sudden the worst thing happens to you and you go, this is not part of the plan. Where are all those promises? promised blessings, you know, um, how do you help someone cope with that? Uh, well, let me tell you something. One of the great things about being a coach is, you know, obviously I am still, I still follow the ICF, uh, uh, protocol. I mean, I do have, you know, rules I have to follow, but coaches can, um, give advice and I can bring a lot of me into a, um, into a session. I don't have to bring a lot of uh, milieus and methodologies and, you know, formalities and stuff. And one of the things that I have no problem doing, if I'm speaking to somebody that does have a faith background, mm -hmm. is speaking to them on that level. And obviously, a lot of professions, you got to be very careful doing that. 
But one of the things that I tell my clients, if you, if you want my, I'll, I can give you my personal and my professional input. From a personal standpoint, I tell my faith believers who, who bring faith into the sessions, I'll say, listen, um, one of God's greatest gift to us is the gift of choice. And that's his greatest gift because we, without the gift of choice, we couldn't have the decision, the choice to love. And love is his greatest gift. Um, so he can't take away our choice. We, so when people do things, it's never God's choice. It wasn't God's choice for them to make that choice. Just like it wasn't God's choice for Adam to fall and, you know, and into temptation. It wasn't God's choice for, you know, Columbine to happen or whatever, but he can't take away people's choices because then he'd have to take away their choice to love. And he's not going to do that. That's the greatest gift. So God gives us gifts, but along with independence comes responsibility. And if we choose to pervert those responsibilities, then we have eruptions in our life. Um, so I, 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 I caution people not to blame God for things. Um, uh, now, the other thing, too, is um, you can get a little deeper and, and say, OK, from a spiritual perspective, was there any intuition that maybe you were ignoring that you felt something was off or, you know, all these other things. But um, uh, the other thing, too, is I found it's 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 helpful to let people be disappointed, even angry with God, if they need to be, um, because everybody needs to experience whatever they're experiencing, um, you know, with no judgment and just fully supported. But usually if somebody had a faith background before, they do circle back to it. Nine times out of 10, people have a stronger faith background, a stronger faith connection afterwards. But there are those few who are like, I can't believe this. Um, I, 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 I want disconnection permanently. And unfortunately that happens as well. Wow. It's interesting what you said there, you know, free will is such an important part in in my view. And I think in the, in the, uh, in the LDS tradition, free will is such a big component in what we view God's plan to be. I I like what you said there. The thing I thought that was so interesting is the choice to love. You know, if you really look at this in the way, why does it hurt so much when someone betrays you? Well, it's because you loved them so much. You know what I mean? You cared about them so much. And in that way, the fact that you can love somebody so much that they can hurt you that much in a weird, twisted way is kind of beautiful in in God's plan. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But no, I mean, if you look at this from an outside perspective, or let's just say somebody who's been through betrayal trauma and you're now like on the other side of the healing journey, you there's a lot of ways you can look at this, you know, even as far as what you're saying. Um, Absolutely. First of all, um, just out of curiosity, because you mentioned the word love, what is your definition of love? Boy, that's that's a good question. I I don't know if I've ever really defined it, if I'm being honest. I uh, I think love, true love, unconditional love, is that you, um, you're willing to put up with person, somebody's um, worst moments um, in order uh, to have some of those great moments that you have together, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. And there's no right or wrong answer. It's just like, yeah. you know, forgiveness. I talk to a lot of people every day that say, I want to forgive them. I'm trying to forgive them. I'll say, okay, what's your definition of forgiveness? Yeah. Which, by the way, do you have one? 
You know, I, I think forgiveness really is is actually being willing to absorb the cost of the hurt that was caused to you. Uh, and what does that mean to absorb the hurt? Absorb. The well, I think it. I think it means that you're not going to make them pay for it. You know, I mean, especially when you're dealing with. I would imagine um, people who come to you when they when they. I bet ninety nine out of a hundred that come to you probably thought before they were betrayed that that would be a deal breaker for them. If my significant other cheats, that's the end, right? And I bet uh, not ninety nine out of a hundred end up leaving right um those those people who don't are willing to absorb the cost so long as things change yeah yeah um so anyways the whole reason i'm asking that is because um somebody will say i'm working on forgiving so and so and i'll be like okay well what's your definition of forgiveness and the majority of the time it's like well um i guess just let it go okay what does that mean let it go yeah, <laughs> because yeah. It, what, if you don't if you don't know what you're giving somebody, how are you going to go about giving it to them? That's a great. So I point. think everybody has to first define um, their healing journey. What does forgiveness mm -hmm. mean? What? Mm -hmm. Because I'm going to tell you something. I'm not good with forgiveness. Mm -hmm. I am not good with forgiveness, but I am good at mercy, and that works mm -hmm. well with. Me. So um, you, you really stop, have stop, to stop. Stop right there. Stop right there. What do you mean? What's the difference to you? What's the difference between forgiveness and mercy? Okay, um, so let me just say this. I think mercy, in my opinion, uh -huh. it covers a broad spectrum of um, man will fail. Men are fallible. And I mean all, all humankind. Right. Um, and we don't have to like it, love it, emulate it, respect it. But if we are, and I'm going to bring spirituality into this, if we are to get closer to our creator, then we need to do what our creator asked us to do. And that is, and that is not just to, um, not just his words, but uh, you know, what did he do before he died? He showed mercy. Mm -hmm. um, and here's the deal. Forgiveness, I think, first of all, societally and socially, I think it comes with a forgive and forget um, yeah. theme. And, and, and so it gets kind of contorted and twisted, number one. And, um, and mercy is, is simply just a, um, I understand humankind is fallible mm -hmm. and I'm just going to, you know, show mercy. Um, I think one of the big things with, um, people a lot of times is the whole vengeance and revenge piece. Mm -hmm. And, um, that's something that I work on a lot you know, with people mm -hmm. as well. And this is where either mercy or forgiveness comes into place. Um, I also say forgiveness uh, is not one and done. You don't wake up one day and say, okay, I forgive you. And then the next day, you know, you're doing bells when you get out of bed. No, yeah. it's, it's a, uh, it's just like love. It has to be a choice today. I'm forgiving. So-and-so I'm going to, you know, my father uh, who recently passed um, had such, he had such a peace in his heart. He had such a peace in his heart. And I used to tell all them, dad, like, he, he never was angry at anybody, never had any ill feelings, any ill words. With him. And I'd say, Dad, what? Seriously, what, why do you have this peace in your heart? He's like, you know what, Jay? I forgive people before they even hurt me. Hmm. And I was like, wow, that's, that's pretty interesting. So, you hmm. know, listen, if you and I spend a lot of time together, one of us is going to hurt each other. We're human. Hmm. That's just what hmm. one of us is going to offend or hurt or annoy, disappoint. You know what? That's humankind. And my father said, I've already 
forgiven people before they've had the chance to hurt me or offend me. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought was really nice. And I, I, you know, that's one of the things I, I try to <laughs> live up to. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, part of that fallibility, that fallibility of, of mankind or humankind, whatever you want to call it, um, is, is that, yeah, forgiveness is incredibly difficult. And when you think, you know, when you talk about mercy, you know, I remember one time I've, I've shared this story before. Um, I think, do you remember the story of Ray Rice, the football player who got caught? He, he, he hit, hit his wife in an elevator at, yes. in Las Vegas. And then they showed the video and he got sent out of, and I just remember thinking because everybody was jumping on him and him and his wife both were like, this was the first time it ever happened and it's never going to happen again and all these things. I just remember thinking everybody was piling on him and I go, man, you know, if the worst thing I ever did in my life was out for the public to see, I, I sure hope that people would show me mercy. And when I thought about that, I was like, you know, I, I want to try and give mercy where mercy is due. You know what I mean? And, uh, um, you know, I think that that is what we were, at least in the Judeo-Christian religion, is is required. You know, is is giving that mercy um, a lot of times. Tell me now, when we we've been talking about um, betrayal trauma, and I think we're, would you say that the bulk of the people you see are 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 dealing with betrayal trauma from a significant other? Is that the bulk of what you see? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, there's probably 90% um, of people I see betrayal trauma. There's some, um, called T trauma, therapeutic trauma, you know, Mm. I'll see people from there. Um, people that, um, I'm, I'm talking to somebody currently who has cancer. She, uh, said, you know, I am very healthy. I drank all my shakes. I did my exercises. I got my son, I meditated and um i was diagnosed with cancer so i feel like my body betrayed me Mm, um uh bosses and and workers Mm. betrayal Mm. trauma is is life altering helplessness at the hands of a primary attachment which is why if a cashier hands you 50 cents when he or she was supposed to hand you 75 you don't feel traumatized you know Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But if, you know, your significant other or somebody that you have a primary attachment to, a, a child, a parent, a partner, a boss, you know, somebody that you have a primary attachment to, yourself, your creator, that's what, uh, basically what trauma does uh, in layman's terms, in my opinion, is it hits us at our core insecurities. Mm-hmm. 40% of what we deal with is the actual event. 60% of the trauma, in my professional opinion, is all of the junk that it brings up. Yeah. Tell me, tell me about that. What, what is it that you see is the junk that comes up after the fact? So, um, okay. We all come into this world for the most part on a clean slate. Um, and then what's built on that is usually given by our primary caretakers. Um, and what happens is we form defense mechanisms or survival techniques or what have you based on the way we were raised. Um, now, that doesn't necessarily mean everybody has trauma. I deal with a, a lot of people that come from really good you know, uh, backgrounds. Um, but what happens is we have core beliefs. For example, let's just say um, somebody's born and um, before, their, uh, before their language system uh, is, is, is 
mature enough to remember they feel like they were rejected from let's just say their mother her mother's washing dishes and you know they go to want they want to be picked up and they can't um then in school they are the last person to get picked on a sports team so they feel rejected then then they're a teenager and they go to get some jobs they put out applications they don't get picked for that job then they feel rejected so that becomes a core insecurity now rejection is a core insecurity of mine so hypothetically speaking you get into a relationship and now you find out your spouse is spending time with somebody else immediately that's going to go through your own filter and your filters are connected to your core insecurity so one of the narratives in your mind is yet again i'm rejected so it just really brings up all of the crap in our life. And this is why they say, if you don't get a hold of your trauma, your trauma is going to get a hold of you because it wakes up a sleeping giant within. The sleeping giant is all the crap that you never dealt with. Which is why I think in, in high school, we all should be mandated to two years of mental health help before we graduate. But but what what does it mean to to deal with it? Like what is what do you mean by that is it talk therapy is there something that specific that you have to do to deal with this stuff i mean i would disagree i think everybody has some sort of trauma i've been i've been in leadership positions in churches and things like that and it seems like everybody's a train wreck you know what i mean so oh no there's no doubt but what i'm saying is big t trauma and little t trauma right okay okay sure yeah. so so what do you mean by deal with it what what are some things that you would tell people that they could start doing to deal with their trauma particularly betrayal trauma. Okay, so are, are you talking about, well, now where? We're on the spectrum because I get people um, where while I'm talking to them, they're still bear hugging the toilet and vomiting because they just recently found out. Hmm. And then I talk to people who are 30 years out who decided they were just going to brush some things onto the carpet, work with a little bit of things, and now there's physical manifestations of the trauma because they never hmm. dealt with it or whatever. So where are we talking <laughs> Well, that's, that's a good point. I, I, I don't know, really. I mean, what would you say? Let's say that somebody, let's start it this way. Let's say that somebody just found out that they have been betrayed. We'll use a spouse, for example. Um, what would you say the first things that they should do to start the healing process would be? Okay, well, first of all, um, the first thing I would say, just because you asked me, is um, I wouldn't start the healing process if they just found out. I would work mm. on stabilization. Mm. So uh, the first thing is, what do you need to do right now to feel safe? Um, mm. One of the things that I recommend people is called a lifeline list. So mm. I have them, when you are in a logical mindset, because of when you just discover something, your mind is hijacked. You're an amygdala, mm. you're an emotional mindset, your reptilian brain reptilian brain is making all the decisions. When you are in a spot where you can think logically for a few minutes, you need to come up with what I call a lifeline list. What are three, three people that you can call on a moment's notice that can come and watch your kids so you can go in your car and scream and punch the steering wheel? What are three restaurants that you can call on a moment's notice that'll deliver in a half an hour? Because there's going to be times that you're in a fetal position in bed crying and you can't get up, but you've got kids and they still got to eat. What are three people you can call in the middle of the night if you just need them to pick up the phone and pray? So I have them write down a lifeline list of what their needs are and three people. Because when you're in an emotional mindset, you're not thinking of anything other than, you know, the how can they do this to me and the hurt and things like that. Then I teach them some grounding techniques, and there's a ton. And then I teach them some uh, techniques on how to 
help their triggers because man, flooding, emotional flashbacks, the rumination, the triggers are debilitating. Um, and, and if you've been through it, you know, you could be in the shower washing dishes and it's like a sledgehammer to your gut. It could literally bring you to your knees. Um, so stabilization is one of the first things that I would do. Um, then I would probably talk to the person and get a little bit of their childhood. Um, and then what I might have them do is um, write their younger wounded inner child a letter and basically start with let let them let this child know um i understand your pain i understand you know what you're going through um there's no better person other than your creator that knows it's me because i once was you um and let your younger child know that you didn't have a voice then you didn't have a voice but you got a voice now and you'll never let them feel that way again you got their back now and together, we're going to rock this thing called healing in life. So, you know, I mean, there's a million things. That's just some of the things that I, you know, can offer off the top of my head. Is writing your younger letter, um, younger self a letter. Another thing that I would actually do, and this, depending, this is more, you know, uh, if they're, depending on where they're on the healing journey, I have people write their, what what is their happy, healthy 2.0 self? Hmm. So, Fast forward two years from now, what do you look like? What does your hair look like? What do you smell like? What are you wearing? Who's around you? What are you doing? Those who are around you, what are they saying to you? Um, because one of the things that uh, causes so much disruption is when we go through betrayal trauma, that's a, that's a jolt to our identity. It's a joke to our identity, which is why so many people say, I don't even know who I am anymore. Because you're thinking, well, wait a minute. If I'm the spouse of so-and-so and they're doing this, who am I? And, and, and like, who am I as a father? Who am I as a mother? Who am I as a wife? Who am I, what's my role in the, like every area? So your identity is, is completely twisted. So when you're in a good space, write your ideal, happy, healthy, healed 2.0 self. And every time you're having a moment that's challenging, you read that and say, okay, is this thought, is this trigger, are my current um, attitude, behavior, whatever, contributing or contaminating for me reaching this goal? Mm. So there's a lot of things, you know, to, to help uh, people do. I mean, I, I sometimes I, I, I encourage people to tap EFT, you know, tapping. Um, there's certain things I can't do unless I'm certified, which I'm not EMDR. Mm -hmm. um things like that but certainly there's a lot that you can do to get a hold of things wow. a lot of people need the talk therapy mm -hmm. and then there's a lot of times i'll just sit there and do a little bit of somatic work you know with people mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. sit down close your eyes pretend there's a warm fuzzy ball going into your feet and everywhere it goes throughout your body very slowly it's it's absorbing the abuse mm -hmm. absorbing the toxicity absorbing the dysfunction absorbing the hurt that go through the body so mm -hmm. um i know that was a loaded response. No, no, that's, and that's an excellent response. A lot of those things I think were, are really interesting, particularly when it comes, you know, it, it seems to me that a lot of this has to do with increasing self-confidence and self-esteem because I got to imagine most people are shattered, you know, when something like that happens because they never think that they're the one that that's going to, that's going to happen to. And so, um, you know, what are some things that you think 
people can do to increase their self-esteem after betrayal? So um, obviously everybody's different. There's some people that really, really, really thrive on affirmations. Mm. There's some people that um, uh, it really helps to help somebody else going through something. One of my favorite things though, and it's simple, and actually uh, studies have been done. I took a course at UC Berkeley on happiness, believe it or not. Hmm. And they said the number one contributing factor to happiness is being grateful. And one of the things that happiness does is it automatically uh, uh, increases your self-worth and your self-esteem. So, but here's the deal. It's not just an appreciation journal. I call this a appreciation journal on acid. This is what I have people do. (laughs) You write down three things that you're grateful for, and it doesn't have to be anything significant. People are like, you know, oh, I'm grateful for my master's degree. No, it doesn't have to be that big. It doesn't have to be that big. You can write down, I'm grateful for my nose. Because you know what? There's a lot of people that lost their sense of smell. So be grateful for your nose. But here's the click. Here's the deal. You write three things that you're thankful for, and then three reasons each why you're thankful for them. So you just don't write, I'm thankful for my nose, my eyes, my mouth. Okay, moving on. Next job, next task. What you do is you're I'm thankful for my nose because it helps me smell the delicious cookies I just baked. It also helps me fall in love with my baby that to smell that baby's scent. It also keeps me safe if I if I smell fire in the house. I'm appreciative for my no. So you have to give three reasons for each thing you're um, grateful for, and people see results quickly when they authentically do the exercise. You know, it's funny what's coming to my mind about this, and it's it's really kind of funny because I remember a, a part of my story is that uh, I was in a car accident. And had a concussion and it took me a while i'd had my bell rung a few times in my in my life i was a little bit of a ruffian when i was younger and so this last one you know when i got dinged it took me a while to get to get over it and uh you know there was a self-confidence issue there and what i found so interesting is that these things that you are saying they sound so simple and it'd probably be very easy for someone if they're listening to this if they've had betrayal trauma and be like so you're telling me just saying i'm thankful for my nose is going to help me The thing that's crazy is, yes, it is actually, (laughs) you know, I mean, the thing that's so amazing, I remember when I I was struggling because I had gained some weight, you know, health wasn't going very well, I was having a hard time thinking. Uh, And I remember just thinking, you know what, I, everything seems so out of control at that moment. I was like, the, the one thing I can control is my physical health, what I put in my body and what I do. And so I started eating right, I started working out, I started you know, wearing, uh, you know, I, I bought new clothes that fit better. I started, I got it, you know, made sure I always had a haircut. I started wearing cologne. I started, sta- you know, standing up straight, looking people in the eye, smiling more. And those things, it's so amazing that those things, they sound like such little silly things, but they help boost your self-confidence so much. Do you get that sometimes? Do you see that with people where you're like, oh, well, you know, they that sounds so easy. I just don't see how that's going to help. No, absolutely. I think a lot of times people come to me and the first thing they want is, you know, what do you, what do you think? Prozac, Wellbutrin, Zoloft, you know, whatever. And I'm like, well, hold on. First of all, I'm not anti-drug at all. Whatever people, mm-hmm. I mean, God made physicians, you know, not so they can starve, 
Um, so I'm not anti-drug, but can we try to turn some other stones first before we get there? Even with natural things like St. John's Ward and things like that, but mm -hmm. I digress. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I, I believe pebbles make mountains and raindrops make seas. Mm -hmm. The small things over time absolutely will make big impressions. Now, listen, there's other things, too, that will increase our self-esteem and self-worth that take a little bit more time, but they're not impossible. Things such as having good integrity. Mm. If you can get in your car and drive down the street knowing, wow, I am an honest person. I am a person who tries to be on time. Um, you know, that helps your self-esteem. A lot of people that like to gossip, that like to do this, it just chips mm. away at their own self-worth. Another thing, too, is knowing, having and enforcing personal boundaries. You feel mm. good about yourself. So there's a lot of things that people can do that don't cost a lot of money, time, and energy to really increase their self-worth and happiness. Mm. Boundaries. Let's talk about that for a minute because that's something that I know a lot of people who struggle with. You know, I, you're looking at somebody. Boundaries are hard. You know, my, my kids can convince me to get off of their, you know, restrictions and get me to get things for them that I wouldn't get for them. <laughs> Uh, they're real, it's real hard, you know, keep, keeping boundaries with the people you love are very, it can be very difficult. If you have somebody who's struggling with that, keeping boundaries, how, how would you recommend that they start, that they start doing that? Well, first of all, I'd, I'd probably give them an example of where, uh, they fall short because, you know, a lot of times you're just oblivious and I get that. I'll give you a kind of an example. I was talking to this lady. Uh, she lives in California. Uh, she's in her 60s, I think. And um, she's in the dating. She's in the dating realm, pool, life, whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, she that's got that's got to be tough. That's got to be tough at 60. <laughs> yeah, I, without question, without question. But yeah. one of the things she told me is she's, is, you know, while we were talking is she said, I have an absolute hard and fast boundary. Nobody ever meets me at my house. I always meet them out in the restaurant, you know, whatever. I, you know, that is a boundary. And I let people know that right off the bat. Anyway, so we're talking one time and she was like, well, I am, you know, my last day I was, uh, we were talking and um, on the phone, everything was going so well. And he kind of lived far away. So I said, listen, why don't you just come pick me up at my house? We'll drive to the restaurant together, you know? And um, she said, and things were going well, but at the end of the date, he kissed me goodbye. And then he continued to kiss me. And then he continued to kiss me. And I said, and I said, well, um, okay, you kissed me. We had a good time. We're good. And he wouldn't stop. He just kissed me. And I told her, I said, but here's the deal. You told him that your, your boundaries were negotiable. If you're going to tell somebody under no circumstances, do I meet somebody at my house? And then you're going to say, meet me at my house. You taught him <laughs> your boundaries are negotiable and we teach people how to treat us. So, so you got to be aware of in what areas am I uh, um, being loose with my boundaries? Now you already said when it comes to your kids, you know, and it's very difficult with our kids. But one of the things that I tell people, a good way to um, start, start on the boundary journey is write down your core values. What are some of your core values? Turn those into boundaries. Mm. For example, um, I have a, this is an example. I have a core value of timeliness. If people mm. are late, I don't like, that's a value of mine, a core value. I'm always on time. That, okay. So my boundary might be if 
people are late, I don't, I might give them a heads up. I might give them a warning. Then I just don't really, you know, that's, that's some, so that's a boundary because it's, it's from my core value. Now, keeping in mind, boundaries are like religion. They're not for other people. They're for you. Mm -hmm. Anybody can do anything they want. However, if somebody wants to step into your sacred circle, they have to respect your boundaries. Just like your house, your house, you have rules on your, doesn't, people can do whatever they want, cross the street or down the road, but if they're going to come in your house, they have to respect your rules. Those are what boundaries are. Yeah. It's funny you bring up my kids because I, I just had this conversation uh, with my youngest son because he just, yeah, you know, he, he knows if he pushes hard enough, he'll get what he wants. You know, I'll be like, nope, not doing it, not doing it, not doing it. And he just keeps on and keeps on. And I'm like, you little jerk, fine. You know, and, and it's, and, uh, and it's usually something I want to give him anyway. You know what I mean? It's not like it's something he's, he's asking me for that the moon, he's just, can I download this video game? Please dad, please dad, please dad, please dad, please dad. Okay, fine. Just leave me alone, <laughs> you know? And so, um, but yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. Because I know I get so frustrated and I just go, you know, the re- and I tell myself, I'm like, the reason they're doing it, Josh, is because they know if they push hard enough, eventually you'll cave. You know what I mean? And, uh, and you know, well, I love my kids. And so, I, you know, I do that and it's it's rough. But so that's, yeah, a, that's it. It's hard with our kids. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Mine are, you said you had, you had two kids. Uh, I have four, 16, 14, 12, and 10. And I just, Ooh. you know, I just love to let them go out and, and do their thing and, and have fun and, and, and enjoy their lives. But yeah, it's hard. Um, so, so this is also, you know, I, I got to imagine when you're dealing with somebody who's, who's being betrayed or has been betrayed, that it's an incredibly stressful time for them too. Um, what do you, what do you say to somebody about when they get into these, these modes of stress, uh, where, you know, they're really freaking out. I mean, I, I got to imagine that, uh, it's something that kind of takes over their lives for a little while. Um, what, what recommendations do you have for people to, kind of get out of that, get out of their own heads, I guess, in that way. Yeah. One of the things, uh, and again, it depends, are they coming to me as somebody who's healing individually by themselves, or are they coming to me as a couple that wants to rebuild, reconcile, and and stay together? So, you know, there's a lot of dynamics that would go into how I would respond to that. But one of the things, um, I I just want to say this, and this is for the listeners that might just want an example of betrayal trauma. I just want people to imagine that there is a bridge a mile above ground, mile above land. There's a mile long, very thin bridge. Okay. And under that bridge is, is, um, a volcano that, that, that is erupting and there's fire all around and you're on that bridge. And you need to get to the other side of that bridge. That bridge is a mile long. You need to get to the other side of that bridge. And you have two babies in your hand. You've got one baby in one hand and one baby in the other. And you're trying to walk across that bridge to safety because if you fall, you know you're falling into lava, fire. And you got your two babies in your hand. And the smoke from the fire is so blinding that you can't see. And the person leading you safely across the bridge is the person you love and trust the most. Let's just say that's your spouse, your partner. So the smoke is so blinding at times, you have to touch the person in front of you just so you don't miss your step. But you're also keeping your hands on your babies to keep them safe. And out of nowhere, the bridge collapses and you are falling. 
and you your brain is hijacked you are hyper vigilant you are hyperventilating you are your brain is hijacked you are completely in a state of fear you're trying to protect your two babies as you're falling looking for anything around you to hold on to so you don't fall and as you look up you see your spouse or your partner they have a hammer in their hand they're the ones that made the bridge collapse so while you're falling trying to protect yourself and those around you now you're like you're you're <laughs> every negative emotion possible because now it's like wait a minute they were here to protect me i was trusting them and they're the ones that caused this it's a complete disruption to your system so anyone that's watching this if they're like okay give me something what is exactly how does betrayal feel like that's what betrayal feels like now you have your two babies you're falling you fall into the volcano into the lava but you don't die that's where i come in <laughs> so um that sounds like an awesome job <laughs> <laughs> repairing yeah. your volcano lava filled body after falling from a bridge that their most trusted person destroyed awesome <laughs> yeah yeah and you know one of the things that makes it hard josh is um when you are rebuilding and reconciling with somebody you're living with both your hero and your hurt mm. there's so many weird emotions that go along with that i don't know one of the things that people experience is called primal panic i don't know if you're familiar with that term but basically you ever watch um like the discovery channel and mm. they uh they'll take like a baby monkey away from its mother that baby monkey goes spastic Oh my, it, it will yell and scream and bite and scratch and whatever. It just wants to go back to his mother. Well, here's what happens after betrayal trauma. It's like that mother of the monkey is beating her baby over the head with a bat. The monkey's like, you're hurting me, but I love you. Ouch, you're, you're destroying me, but I feel safe with you. Oh, I don't feel safe with you, but who else is going to take me in? You're going through this massive thing of confusion. It just is completely disruptive and confusing in every, you know, uh, way, shape or form, which is why, and I don't want to get on uh, digress too much or, or deviate, which is why I say trickle truth is, is oftentimes more destructive than the actual day, but we can talk about that in a minute. Uh -huh. So, so anyway, um, so one of the things, like I was saying before, is you just need to get to, to, to get safe. You, you need to get safe um your your if, if a couple comes to me and they want to heal what i say is unfortunately the person who was betrayed they were given a job they never applied for it's a lot of work to heal after betrayal trauma it's a lot of work um their job is to heal their partner or spouse's job is to help reconcile and rebuild and once they do that then organically they're helping their partner heal and the other thing too i want to say is this is why i say forgiveness should not even be a topic of any conversation at any time because if you're working to heal and both parties are doing the hard job the hard work to rebuild forgiveness is organic hmm. that's interesting that's so interesting so you're saying if both parties are really putting forth the effort that that forgiveness just kind of comes. It's organic. Listen, if I come in right now and take uh, $100,000 out of your 401, okay? Mm -hmm. And um, 
you say, Jay, like, you know, why'd you do that? Well, you know what? You were saying this to me, and because a lot of times there's all this pointing fingers of why somebody cheated and all this other nonsense. Um, uh, okay, that is that going to help you out at all? No, but if I say, um, uh, if I say, Josh, listen, my son needed a heart transplant, and there was no other alternative. And as a dad, um, I'm not saying I made the right decision. But I, I, I took money and I'm telling you, I am going to write you a contract and sign it that I promise I am going to give you a thousand dollars every single week until I pay that off. Well, here's the deal. The first one is not going to bring any fruit. But if I am consistent and proactive and transparent and honest and sincere, you're going to get to a point where you're like, you know what? I don't hold this against him anymore. It's just going to come natural. Forgiveness it doesn't have to be one of those things where, you know, I have to force myself to forgive someone or what is forgiveness? No, it's, you know what? Um, I, I, I'm, I absolve you from, you know, the, you know, the A, B, and C, but both people have to do the work. Both people have to do the work. Both people have to do a personal audit, a personal audit. The person who was betrayed needs to ask themselves, where were my non-negotiables during this time? Where was my relationship during this time? Where was did I have betrayal blindness, which we can talk about if you want in a minute? Um, what were my what were my um, insecurities? Uh, is there anything in my childhood that could have contributed to the seeds to where I was to this? You know, whatever. Keeping in mind the person that was betrayed has no responsibility in the betrayal at all. They have full responsibility in where the relationship was. They have no responsibility in the betrayal. And the, the person who betrayed has to do their own audit. Okay, is there any genetic component to this? Because believe it or not, there's genetic components to infidelity, as weird as it sounds. Um, where was my childhood? Um, you know, what were my core beliefs or insecurities? Where was my self-worth during all this time? Was I going through any big significant event when I did this? So each person has to do a personal audit and you really have to both put in the work. And if both people put in the work and I've seen it done, I can't tell you how many times they both have a relationship. They said, if you would have told me I would have had this relationship three years ago, I would have <laughs> hung up on you. They said, we... Wow. We are so more passionately in love today and trust each other today and love each other more and turned on by each other more and have such a more fulfilling relationship with great communication now than ever before. I say actually betrayal is a great, um, it's, it's, a, it's a heart attack for a couple. It's mm. the great eye opener. So there's a couple of things I really want to go into there. One, uh, you know, one thing I do want to talk about the role of the betrayer in the healing process a little bit more, and particularly what you said about trickle truth is what you called it. But before we go into that, give me this concept of what you mean by betrayal blindness. Yeah. By the way, I can talk. So if you have to interrupt me and say, whoa, let's slow this down, go back to range. Can we talk about that? Because seriously, I will I will talk until tomorrow morning, seven o'clock well, in the morning. Well, well it's a, it's incredibly engaging, actually. What you're saying, it all just makes a lot of sense. It's 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 surprising, and and uh, you know, I guess it's not surprising, but I mean, I, I almost don't want to stop you because everything you're saying, I know a lot of people are going to benefit from. So, so tell me, what, what is betrayal blindness? What was what was that? So betrayal blindness was a term keyed by Jennifer Freed back in the early '90s, and basically, it's a part of our um, nervous system. Uh, fight, flight, um, freeze, uh, fawn. I have another one I call F it. It's another F, flight, fight, freeze, F it, uh, which I can tell you about what that is, whatever. Basically, it's it's supposed to be a 
um, mechanism used to keep us safe. Okay. And here's the interesting thing. It kind of does, but it sets us up for failure. Mm. So here's the deal. Okay. I want you to imagine um, Little Red Riding Hood, right? Mm-hmm. Little Red Riding Hood wanted to see her grandma. She wanted to see her grandmother so bad, but she couldn't because she was in lockdown from COVID. Mm. So months went by, years went by, and she can't see her grandma, and she just wants... She wants to see her grandma bad. All of a sudden, the COVID restrictions were lifted. She starts making banana bread, oatmeal cookies, and she's off into the dangerous forest to go see her grandma. She just wants to see her grandma. She knocks on the door and something feels weird. Something feels off because usually her grandmother opens the door with a bright big smile and says hello and all this other stuff. It doesn't happen. Um, I'm not freezing, am I? No, no. Speaking, okay. Speaking of the nervous system. <laughs> um, <laughs> So when she walks into the house, something inside of her says, okay, something is off. Something is off. But here's the deal. Betrayal blindness kicks in because she wants to see her grandmother so bad. And betrayal blindness kicks in so much that she says, grandma, why are your eyes so beady? And why are your teeth so sharp and your nose is so long? She knew something was off. Logically, she knew something is not making sense. But she still wanted to believe she was going to see her grandmother. And it happened at the detriment of her because she got eaten. Uh, literally writing card. So here's the deal. Oftentimes, we'll find chapstick in our glove compartment, hair on our car seat. And what do we do? There's a, there's a part of us that's like, should I look into this more? No. Betrayal blindness kicks in and we start making excuses for it. Oh, that he must have gave his—he must have gave his boss a ride to work. Oh, she must have done that. She must have that. And this is the reason why. Betrayal blindness is: if I dig deep into this and I find out the truth, my world is going to blow up. Mm-hmm. And you don't want your world to blow up, so you you just remain blind to it. Oh, mm-hmm. that's his mother. She must have been wearing a wig. You know, whatever. But here's what happens. Betrayal blindness does serve to protect us because our world doesn't blow up because we excuse it away. But when D-Day comes or when it's time to pay the piper and you do discover that there's a betrayal, now not only are you dealing with the betrayal of your significant other, you now have to deal with self-betrayal and asking you questions. Why didn't I do this? How was I so blind to this? Why am I not all the I statements? So it does set to protect us, but it comes back to bite us in the butt. Well, yeah, and that's that's something I hear commonly when I'm when I'm talking to friends of mine who've who've gone through this is this uh, this concept of how could I have been so stupid, how could I have been so blind? The the signs were all there, and then they look back, right? You look back on all these things, and you go, oh man, that I, you know I had that feeling, I had the feeling, and I just ignored it, you know, or I let them explain it away, or I let them, you know, I let them gaslight me into doing something different, and. Man, you know, that that's almost worse than the betrayal itself. It, what? Yeah, absolutely. You know, first of all, um, I think love is blind. So mm-hmm. we keep giving these free passes because we love somebody. Sure, sure. Um, and I always say, you know, that whole theory of love is blind. Somebody will do something in a relationship that could be hurtful, disappointing, a little confusing, whatever. You put a blanket of love over it. Mm-hmm. Then time goes on, whatever, and they do something that's hurtful. Or maybe you're thinking, man, can something be off? No, no, no. Blanket of love. And after a while, you got all these blankets of love on everything. When the day comes where there's actual D-Day, betrayal comes to a light, 
all those blankets get ripped off and you're like, holy crap. But you can't hold yourself accountable for trying to believe in love. You can't hold yourself accountable for, for trying to believe in the, you know, the dream, believe in love, giving somebody the benefit of the doubt because you love them. You can't hold yourself accountable to that. Well, yeah. And how can, I mean, it, it sounds silly. It's, it sounds silly. And when you're going through it, it's different, right? When you're going through it, it's, you know, it, it's, it's easy to say uh, when you're not going through it, but how can you, how uh, you trusted your partner, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you just gave them the benefit of the doubt, you know, you trusted the them more than you trusted you yourself. Trust yourself. That's right. the problem. You well, let me, let, let me ask you then, how, what do you think is the best um, kind of a balance, right? Because not every gut instinct, like, because afterwards, I got to imagine, then you're just, you're on, you are on alert. You know what I mean? And now everything is looking, you know, shady, right? So what's the good balance, particularly if someone gets in another relationship or they, or they have, they try to reconcile either one, I got to imagine they got major trust issues after betrayal. So, so what is the best balance between trusting your gut and trusting your partner? Um, okay. Well, first of all, after betrayal, uh, we go from blind trust to wise trust. Mm. That's number one. As a matter of fact, mm. and I was talking earlier about the glasses, you will no longer wear the glasses you wore before. You have a different pair of glasses on now. Like and, you and, might. And are you are you saying even if like you go into a new relationship, not not just reconciling, but even in a new relationship, you are a changed person. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. What, sure. I'll tell you something. The red flags in an old relationship are your non-negotiables in a new one. Oh, yeah, definitely. Right. Um, yeah. So, uh, so, so this is why I say, you know, infidelity is a big heart attack. A lot of times when you see somebody who had a heart attack a couple of years later, mm-hmm. they're running marathons, they look good, they, they're healthy, they're eating good. You're like, holy crap. And they're like, yeah, I got a big wake up call. The majority of the time, infidelity, I don't want to say the majority of the time, but well, yeah, there's always a breakdown in communication. Now, I am not going to say that you can infidelity proof your relationship and here's how you do it. But I will say if you and your significant other can continuously um, be emotionally vulnerable to one another, that's going to prevent significantly, possibly even 100 percent, any part part of betrayal. Because, listen, uh, first of all, I always say infidelity starts in childhood. A lot of people are like, you know, uh, no, infidelity starts in childhood. That's the seed. What waters that seed are secrets, you know, things like that. So if you and your partner are able to completely be honest, transparent, and proactively emotionally vulnerable with one another, you are going to significantly, if not completely, um, prevent infidelity. Mm, okay. So what do you do? Um, what do you do when you have somebody who seems to be in a, in a relationship where it's continuously going on? And what I mean by that is I got to imagine there are people who you see who they're giving chance after chance after chance, and it may not even always be just the betrayal part, but also all of the issues that they're having that, the person I, I got to imagine, and maybe we can go into the role of the betrayer, but like, you know, 
okay, so now I've been betrayed. Here are the things I need you to do. And then they're not doing them. And then there's more, or, or maybe there's more betrayal or they find out the trickle truth situation. Um, is it harder for those people to kind of heal from these things uh, if they're continually trying in those ways? Well, Am I making no any sense? Healing. There's no healing. There's no healing. There's, there's, um, listen, you know what's really sad? There's still a lot of families out there where one of them stayed home with the kids. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. the other one betrayed. And it's like, I need you to do this, this, this to heal me. And somebody won't do those things, but they're not in a position to leave because they stayed mm -hmm. home for the past 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, so so it, it, sometimes there are people who are like, I know what he or she is doing. I talked to a lot of stay at home dads who mm -hmm. make no money at all. And their wife is out there. Wife had an affair with the boss, whatever. What am I going to do? Not only am I going to completely uh, break my children's hearts and, and disrupt my family, but I haven't worked. My resume for 15 years has nothing on it. What am I going to mm -hmm. do? There's a lot of issues there, you know, from a financial standpoint. Now that doesn't make things impossible because there's a lot of organizations out there that do help um, in cases like this, but there, sometimes your hands are very, are closely tied. Mm -hmm. But I do say this, I tell people all the time, we teach people how to treat us. Just like your kids. Your kids know they can wear you down and eventually they're going to download the game. They're extremely good at it. <laughs> yeah, because they're family, they know what buttons to push, you know? Yep, yep. They're good um, at it. Yeah. So yeah, I'll like, tell you, uh, before we go on, I got to tell the story. Yeah. I was with my son. I was with my son just a, a couple of days ago and he was he was even telling me. He was like, oh, yeah. He's like, you know, if I don't get what I want, I'll just cry and feel bad. And he's like telling me his, his secrets. And I go, well, now you're telling me what you're doing, dude. Now I know. And he's like, oh, I've got so many more. I was like, yeah, I was like yeah. a little jerk. Yeah. I was like, you're telling me. And, uh, and listen, kids are so perceptive. Kids are so perceptive, which by the way, uh, even like with betrayal, like I'll, I'll talk to a lot of couples. And I'm like, oh, our kids know nothing. Our kids know nothing. And I'll be like, listen, oh, that's not true. they might not specifically <laughs> know about the betrayal, but they know something is going on. Yeah, yeah. Because listen, if, 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 if you're raising kids, kids know you. And if you set the bowl down like this, or you set the bowl down like this, they're going to be like, okay, dad doesn't set the bowl down that way unless he's upset. Kids are perceptive in ways we just don't understand and know. Sure. It's so funny because um, I'm big on love languages. I don't know if you're familiar with the love language. Oh, I'm very familiar, yeah. Okay, so my love language is physical touch. And my daughter, who's six years old, man, anytime she wants anything and I'm like, I'm, I'm sticking to my guns, no. She'll be like, well, Papa, I want to hug and kiss you. And, and, and man, she knows exactly. And then she'll come and give me a big hug and my heart is melted. And I'm like, ooh, so I get it. You know, I, yeah. I get it. To, to be yeah. Dad. Yeah. Um, well, well, that's, that's it. But, but yeah, it's got to be, it's got to be harder. It's such an interesting, I don't even know what, what how to describe it uh, it's just such an interesting dichotomy when you got somebody who's hard it's hard for them to hold boundaries you got someone that's constantly walking over them and it keeps happening again and again and again does that i mean you said there's no healing but do, does that almost do more damage does it like what do you see in those situations 
again, it depends on a lot of dynamics, you know, um, things. But one of the things that I tell people all the time is um, if you have a D-Day, a, you know, day, a discovery day, and then one partner thinks that you're reconciling, you're rebuilding, you're being proactively transparent, you're being honest, you're trying to work on it, and then they discover that there's still some foul play outside the relationship, that feeling is like this. This is how I describe it. It's like if you had third degree burns all over your body and you walk outside nude in acid rain, mm. every drop is going to be murderously physically to you. Mm-hmm. And what that does is that not that just doesn't set your healing back to square one. That sets your healing back a mile before square one. Wow. Yeah. Because here's the deal. I can say, Josh, listen, I did take $100 out of your wallet. Um, I, I, this, this is the reason. This is what I'm going to do to give it back to you. You know, blah, blah. And, and if over a little bit of time, you see I'm paying you $10 a week. You know, your guards come down. You're like, you know what? He made a mistake. It was disgusting. It was hurtful. We got a lot of healing, but I can see, you know, what's going on. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm, I believe in him, you know, blah, blah. Then the whole time I'm, I'm taking money out of your bank. It's like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I tell people this all the time. I say, listen, people can get over betrayal. People, People do all the time. People can get over infidelity. People can get over affairs. People do. What people won't do is the games that are played afterwards. Mm-hmm. So people will get over infidelity, but people can't get over the games that you play afterwards. Yeah. Now, here's the deal. The reason your question is a little challenging because are we talking about somebody who has an addiction, like say to sex or porn? Because mm. that can get a little um, interesting. Um, sure. Or... Or are you talking to somebody who has a pompous attitude? I work hard and I work long nights so I can get a little freebie on the side without hearing it from you. Or are you talking to somebody, you know, so really I, I yeah, have to different, do a, kind of, kind of like you were saying, like the, for the betrayer, there's a different motivation for the betrayal. Yeah. 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 Before that's I a, went into a, this, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say that that's actually an interesting situation. And I got to imagine that depending on the dynamics between the couple, the motivation behind, um, you know, I, I can think of, of, of one couple I know where, uh, you know, the one of the spouses continuously over the course of years had a sex addiction and, and was was very, I mean, unfaithful over and over and just kept getting forgiven, you know, and then, and then one day finally it was just, it was done. It couldn't, couldn't, but it was amazing how long, you know, I got to imagine that's a different, motivation than somebody who just is completely arrogant and pompous and just, you know what I mean? So I, I think, I think that the dynamic is different and each, each person is different. And do you think that, that, that people are drawn to certain people that cause them to do this stuff? Oh, without question. Yeah. Without question. Now listen, not all the time, but listen, I, I always say that, um, we, we love familiarity. We're comfortable with familiarity, which actually is one of the reasons why it's hard to heal after infidelity, because we want to go back to the patterns that we were familiar for before. And that just just doesn't going to work. You know, I tell people all the time, I tell people all the time, you need to notice the person you're with has nothing at all similar to the old person you're with. 
if, if, if two people are together and one person steps out of their marriage and you want to rebuild and reconcile, which you can, it's very possible. It happens all the time. They cannot see any characteristics of your past behavior because they need to see, I am working on a new marriage with a new person. Hmm. Same human you're being. saying you're saying you're saying the the person who has been betrayed needs to see the betrayer doing everything completely different. Like they can't see anything of the old behavior. Is that what you're saying? To the best of their ability, absolutely. Right. right because right. they need to see a new person. And while they're doing the healing, and what is the healing? You know, independent mental health um, professional doing some workbooks, having, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the three circles, if the person's addiction, you know, making sure that there's a safety plan, whatever, mm -hmm. um, full transparency. And the difference between honesty and transparency is this. Honesty is, here's my phone. You're welcome to, um, you're welcome to look at it anytime you want. That's honesty. Transparency is, um, hey, I just want to tell you, my AP did try to reach out to me on social media. I did not respond. I want you to look at the thing before I delete and block. So the difference between Who, honesty what, and what's an a, what's an AP? Oh, the affair partner. Sorry. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Right. Um, so basically, proactive transparency is. Um, see here, this is what I tell my kids all the time. I don't want a cop to bring you home and tell me your son was stealing at a store. I want you to come home and say, dad, listen, I got to tell you something. I stole and the cops are probably going to come here. I want to hear it from you. Mm -hmm. If I hear it from you, even if I don't like your behavior, I know that I can trust the integrity, your integrity. So what happens a lot of times is after a betrayal, people will try to hide certain things because they want to keep their partner safe. But what happens is their partner nine times out of 10 is going to find out just like they found out the big betrayal and you're going to make them feel unsafe because they need to hear it from you first. Perfect yeah. example. I was talking to a couple the other day and they're, uh, he stepped out of the marriage four years ago mm -hmm. and um, he was cleaning his garage just the other day and he found a lighter that the affair partner gave him and he was like, oh my God, let me throw this away, uh, you know, whatever. And um the wife two days later was missing her car keys. So she goes to the trash and she sees a lighter and immediately, you know, with, with what it said on it, she knew exactly what it was. She went and immediately D day happened all over again Yeah, because lies are lies are lies are lies. Deception is yeah. deception is deception is deception. And so they had for the first time a big blowout. And I was trying to tell him, listen, you, you have to decide, do I want to willingly go into battle or do I want to unwillingly set myself up for the war? Mm -hmm. You have to, same thing with this. Like I tell people that betray all the time. Don't wait for your partner to say, listen, I'm having a trigger. Can I talk to you? Don't do that. Every day, go up to your partner. Listen, do you have any, do you have any triggers today you want to share with me? Did you have any thoughts today? Did you have any questions today I can answer? Did I do anything today that made you feel unsafe? What can I do tomorrow to make you feel safe? Don't wait for your par partner to come up to you and say, geez, it's been two weeks. Can we talk about something? Don't do that. Be proactive and let them know you're invested in their healing. Mm -hmm. And then I'll hear all the time, well, I don't want to upset them. 
Well, listen, even if you do upset them, you're going to have a little mini battle. But if you are not proactive, all you're doing is setting yourself up for a future war. Because if you don't bring it up, they're going to get to a point where they explode because that shaken bottle has just too much pressure in it. So bring it up. Be proactive. And like I was telling this guy, you should have went right in the house and said, honey, I found this lighter. What do you want me to do with it? You could have probably gotten to an argument. Maybe, maybe not. But here's what's going to happen. The next time she has a trigger, she's going to tell herself, oh, no, no, I know my husband. He's going to come to me first before anything. So trigger, I don't need you there. Mm-hmm. Now she can't do that because she knew yeah. you threw it away with her. So you got to be proactively um, uh, transparent. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. This might be a good time to talk about the what you call the trickle truth. You know, I remember reading an article a while back talking about this very topic and it said it's not the it's often not the betrayal that causes uh you know the the marriage or the relationship to end but it's the drip 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 of truth afterwards that causes the major problems and uh uh, so so i'm assuming you you are meaning the same thing when you call it trickle truth yes listen It's best to rip the Band-Aid off all at once. Mm -hmm. It's best to do that. And I understand, you know, people don't want to hurt their partner, spouse, significant other, so they don't want to tell them all the information, whatever. They're already devastated. They've already imploded. Their life already exploded. Like, it's best to rip the Band-Aid off, you know, whatever. Because what happens is that when you're trying... Betrayal affects our filters in our mind. I mean, it does a lot of things, but that's one of the things it does. It affects our filters. The the filters in our mind should be a radiator, but instead they become an accordion. And what happens is our filters get completely twisted. Uh, For instance, the, um, what is it? The the hypothalamus, which is in charge of our um, memory, that forms about the age of, I think, four or something, whatever which is why a lot of times if there's trauma before four, kids will tell you in body behavior instead of language, but that's a whole other thing. What happens with our minds, with our life? The reasons we feel safe in life is because our life is predictable. Tomorrow, my, you know, he has baseball. The next day she has ballet. We're making this for dinner. Our life is kind of predictable, not all the time, but we know for the most part, the gist of our life. And so we have a filing cabinet in our mind. What happens with betrayal is your partner takes that big filing cabinet out of your head. They claim that they climb the tallest mountain and they dump out those files. Files are all over the place and the wind is taking them everywhere. And now what's happening is when you're trying to put those files back in the drawer, you're asking yourself, what was real? Oh, wait a minute. I remember this file. We were in Chicago. Oh, did. I think she lied when we're oh my like you're now your 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 files are all over the the place which is why well anyways when our filters are, are accordion and they're trying to heal this is why oftentimes people get asked the same question a thousand times that's because as your filters are healing you're asking them for different reasons you might ask somebody a question two hours after discovery that's because you just are trying to seek some some make some sense out of this then you might ask them two days later the same exact question because now you're trying to understand something two weeks later you can ask them the same exact question and that's because you need clarity 
two years down, two months down, you might ask them the same exact question. And that's because now they need safety. Now the person on the other end is like, oh my God, you already asked that. How many times are you going to ask that? But the other person's asking it for a whole, whole new different reason. So again, there's, it's very complex with the whole filing cabinet, with the memory, with all this. And if, and if, and if couples can be consistent in being patient and being kind and being proactive, that's going to help them. And all that blabbing, and I forgot your question. <laughs> no, I mean, we were just talking about trickle truth. So, because, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because that's the thing that I think is so interesting is that the, the, the number one thing I think people want when they're, when they, uh, when they've been betrayed is they, especially if they want to try to work it out, is okay, honesty, accountability, right? Those are the things next that are so important. And then, like you mentioned, it's like they're, they're, uh, when, when they find out something new, you know, a week or two weeks, a month, six months down the road, something new that should have been disclosed. Uh, it's you, you, you basically rip off the scar and bleed again. It's like you're, you're replaying the whole trauma over and it just keeps going. It's like I mentioned that alternate reality. You've gone from one reality to a new one and then you're just shifted to another one and another one and you can never get set in the reality you're in. So, so, so tell me like what are some ways – I guess tell us more about trickle truth and what, what that's like, why that's so important. Well, first of all, let me just say this. You have to um, first uh, comb out, is it trickle truth or is it a, um, a thought, a new thought? And here's the reason. Mm -hmm. uh, there is what's called a fair fog mm -hmm. and there is what's called MML, which is motivated memory loss. Mm -hmm. And there is trauma. So there's a lot of reasons why people authentically can't remember certain things during an affair. So I want to make sure, was it something that wasn't caused by motivational, motivated memory loss? Was it something caused from certain trauma in the, in the person's past who stepped out? Or was it now you're coming out of a fair fog and your mind is more clear and you just remembered something? Because that's different from trickle truth. Sure, but what if it's? But then you're, there's also the chance that you're just full of crap, right? Like you're just oh, no, you're no, just hiding. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So a hundred percent. So so first of all, this is why it's very important to be. Uh, and listen, trickle truth is not just taking a bandaid off. It's it's and it's not even just pouring salt or bleach on on a wound on an arm. It's it's literally chopping the arm off. There mm. might not be coming back from trickle. I told you all the time, people can get over in affairs. People can't get over trickle truth in the games that people play afterwards. Right. It just sets people back. But again, if it happens to be something where, you know, um, a lot of times when I'm working with couples, I'll tell the one couple, okay, you know, we had the disclosure statement, you know, blah, blah, blah. If you think of anything at all, could you be forthcoming proactively transparent and make sure you bring that to the table. Do not have your spouse find out something, whatever. Cause man, I'll tell you, I've, I've had people come on session where uh, people help things from them. And then they'll disclose to me in a session that they, they heard their partner talk in their sleep and tell them something that was truth. And then the partner is like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I should have told you. Well, you know what? No, no. Now I can't believe anything you say. And now that you didn't tell me that and you're hiding that from me. Now I have to question everything you told me from day one. I don't That's, know what to believe now. 
no, we don't have a standing ground at all. Yeah, and I think that's the difficulty with with the trust issues that that I've seen from, like I said, just what I've seen from all these different circumstances is when people when people aren't forthright at the very beginning, then I mean they could they could tell the truth about five things and then be and then basically hide a thing and it makes you question all five of the things even if they were true you you have no idea of knowing one way or the other right and you yeah. already got trust issues <laughs> you already got them so now now it's reinforced right and then and then so there's that dichotomy that we were talking about earlier where you got gut instinct and then you've got what the person's saying and it's harder to give them the benefit of the doubt because they've lied to you so much. You know, absolutely. Which, which you then have to go into trust, but verify mode, you know, right. Okay. Right. I, I trust you at the store, but you know, now let me look at, you know, at your 360 or now I'm going to, you know, whatever I have to do to make, you know, see that you were at the store. Um, uh, oh, you said something and I wanted to just, uh, um, jump on that for a second um oh one of the things that i you know it, it, i i do encourage some couples not all because it depends on a polygraph um which anybody can go to polygraph.org and find a qualified betrayal polygrapher um and what i advise people to do if it's within their budget which they're not like egregiously expensive is to do follow-up polygraphs because again between a fair fog and all this other stuff there are some things that might not come to a head initially um but they might come out down the road so i recommend if somebody's going to do one to do one and then a follow-up one but here's the deal nine times out of ten once you tell your spouse your partner your significant other that we are going to a, poly a polygrapher you're going to get the truth before you even get there mm, i'm sure yeah i'm sure that's interesting that's interesting. And, you know, I think that the thing about that, if the, the thing that would be important on behalf of the betrayer would be being honest, even if it hurts. You know what I mean? Like even just being willing to, you know, I think I think it goes a long way to, you know, it would go a long way if someone asks you a, a question and you don't necessarily, especially if it's one <laughs> that you know you could lie about and probably get away with, but be honest anyway, that's the, those are the ones that are going to get you, you know, back in that trust realm because, because yeah, anyone, anyone can be honest about the thing that they know they're going to find out. Right. So you got to be truthful because you're, you know what I mean? But, but when it's one where you could probably say, you know, you could probably get away with fudging that a little bit, but you're not, even if it hurts the partner, I got to imagine that goes a long way for the trust, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, let me just say this. And when I say energy, I don't mean crystal energy, whatever. But when people are honest, a lot of times our partner can sense that there's something off with their energy. So it just doesn't make sense to do that, number one. But number two, I just want to um, uh, validate the betrayers for a second. I want to say I understand it's grossly difficult to be overly honest because usually people step out because they need to cope with something. They need to avoid something. They're trying to numb something. They need a fantasy. They need an escape. So now what happens is after they're found out, 
Now you're asking them to tap into their guilt, their shame, their bad behavior, all that they were escaping from, and now without their coping mechanism. So it's very difficult. And I just want to say, I, I get why, why people do have a tendency of not telling the truth. I don't, I mean, it doesn't, it's not helpful. It doesn't help, but I do get it because there's a lot of shame. There's a lot of guilt associated with, with infidelity. And a lot of times people cope with that with an escape of their drug of choice, which is an affair or hooking up or whatever. And now they don't have that coping mechanism that they don't have that drug anymore, that numbing effect. And now they're trying to really reveal all the darkness within them. I get where that's very difficult and challenging, you know, for, for people that step out. So, so, so tell me now, it sounds like you deal with individuals and couples. Is that fair? Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So like, when is the, is there a point of no return? You know, do you, do you see a place where you're like, okay, there's no, you're, you're blowing, C, you know, you're giving CPR to a corpse. Uh, so uh, when it comes to an event, no. Okay. When it comes to a person, yes. Let me tell you what I mean. Uh, I work with a couple where um, they're still together. She had four kids uh, and four affairs. And he Wait, she had four kids. She, she had four affairs and had four kids from the affairs? Yes. Oh, and wow. all the time was telling them they were his. Oh. And so he found out by accident, none of them were his. Oh. Um, and that was, that was, that was a that, tough couple to work with. That's gotta be the worst of nightmares. Um, uh, but they're still together and they're happy. Wow. I'm working, I'm working with another couple, uh, where the affair partner broke into their house in the middle of the night and lit the wife on fire, pouring gasoline on her. And she's completely disfigured now because of the burn. And they're still happily married. Wow. Um, I, Holy cow. So, I can, so here's the deal. So to answer your question, the event, no. There's nothing that'll stop a power couple from being together. What I would say is the Achilles heel is if one or the other partner is just not giving it their all, or if mm. they're being blase, that's giving CPR to a zombie. Mm. I can take any couple that wants to stay together and navigate them to calm waters. I am confident of that. However, I'm only the captain of the boat steering it into calm waters. If you're not back there paddling, and I mean paddling until your arms are ready to fall off, this relationship, this boat ain't going anywhere. Mm -hmm. But if you are willing to paddle and do the work, I can calm you into calm waters. So, you know, again, no to the event, yes to the person. Wow. Well, so, but how do you know? You got to, I'm sure there are situations where someone's saying, I'm giving it my all, but like it's not enough. Do you see what I'm saying? How do you know when someone's really giving it their all? I mean, I got to imagine there's some pretty good fakers out there. Listen, I, I, there's a couple I've been working with for a couple of years and it wasn't too long ago where um, the other day it was found out that the whole two years we were talking, they were still engaged outside the marriage and they're uh, doing the work. And do, So there's going to be those people, you know, mm -hmm. there, there, there's going to be those people. But, you know, I tell people, listen, if you choose to open up your heart to another human being, there's a good possibility your heart could be broken. 
I mean, that's just the risk we take. Love is a risk sometimes, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. That being said, usually, or should I say the majority of time, you can tell when somebody's authentically working. And here's the deal. I say all the time, attitude over act. Attitude over act. If somebody comes to me and like, I tried everything. I, I'm doing everything. I, I tried everything. No, you didn't try everything. You didn't try that. I can right off the bat. You didn't. If I, if somebody comes to me and they're like, Mr. J, I'm doing this and I'm doing this and I'm doing this and I'm doing this and it's still not enough. What am I missing? What can I do? That's a person that, that wants to heal and they're doing it and they're doing their own. Mm -hmm. So I always say attitude over act, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, you can say, you can say, oh my God, are you that insecure? Here's my phone. Or you can say, absolutely, my love. I broke trust. It is my my need and want to make you feel safe. You know my password. Here's my phone. Attitude is very significant in this. Over, It's not what you do. It's the attitude that you come to the table with. Sure. Wow, man. So um, uh, real quick, what what would you say is the the number one role of the betrayer in making sure that the person betrayed can heal? Okay, first of all, you have to understand that reassurance and safety is needed 24-7. Very, very quickly, I just want to say something. I don't know if you've ever been in a haunted house, but the minute you open the door to a haunted house, it's very dark. You walk in, it's a little chilly. You might hear a, a witch's cackle in the distance. And the minute the door shuts behind you, the hair on the back of your neck raises because you're like, oh, my God, any second now, somebody's going to grab my legs, grab my arm, something. I mean, you are like, Woo! your heart starts beating, you're hypervigilant. And you see down the cor- down the you know alley a little bit that there's a corner. So you start, you know, shimmying. Thinking, oh my God, no, don't, nobody touch me, nobody touch me, nobody blow. You know, you're doing all this stuff, and you see you have to turn the corner, and you just know when you turn the corner, somebody's gonna start a chainsaw, grab you, something. It, your heart is like this. That's how people that are betrayed live 24 hours a day. Mm. They could be happy, they could have sex, they could make food, they can work. They're in a constant state of hyper vigilance. So the other person who betrayed has to continuously go out of their way to make them feel safe. That means speaking, their, knowing, getting to know their love language, speaking their love language, getting to know their attachment style and helping to heal that attachment style, being honest, being transparent, asking questions, um, little things like this. Do not go up to your partner um, face-to-face and have a conversation. Sit on the floor while you're talking with them so you're not a physical threat. There's a bunch of different things you can do to make your partner feel safe, but that is the thing to do. You have to reassure them. You have to um, feel safe. And that comes with, like I said, honesty, transparency, um, absolutely nothing physical, you know, uh, uh, until the person's ready. Cause I say all the time, sex without safety is rape. Mm. So, I mean, there's just things that you have to really think about, do, um, and be proactive um, and let the partner, who, who was violated, see that, wow, he did make a mistake, but my Lord, he is going above and beyond to, to not become the person he was. Because let's face it, listen, a lot of us are, are born and raised broken. We come with a lot of crap. 
then we get into these marriages and for whatever reason we get disconnected from our spouse and life happens kids come you don't really build these bridges anymore and then you're at work and your co-workers always saying you know oh my god you, wow you always look good and you must be the next thing you know it's like well this co-worker is kind of cool things happen i'm not saying it's right i don't whatever and and if you come clean and your partner can say, you know what? What you did was disgusting. What you did was hurtful. What you did was inappropriate, unacceptable, whatever. But you're owning it. You're showing that you want to do the work. I can work with that. I, or at least I can try to work with it. I might not be able to. I might come to find out I can't. But I'm willing to try. And 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 usually the person that was betrayed if they see the other, if they see, if they understand, because I always say you have to, in order to have peace, you have to have all the pieces. So you got to know why the affair happened, what led into it, what was it, whatever. And if they're working on their core insecurities, their vulnerabilities, how they watered that seed, and you see they're working hard, you can work with that. Hmm. But if somebody's going to be blase, nah. Yeah. Do you, do you see that the healing journey is different for say a, a woman who's been betrayed versus a man that's been betrayed? So yes and no. Yes and no. Um, I, I would even go a little bit deeper than that and say a lot of it comes down to a love language. Mm. Um, because um, there could be somebody who had an emotional affair and if their partner's love language is physical touch, that might not bother them as much as um, if they were engaged physically with that person. Mm. Or let's just say um, somebody every lunch break met at a bookstore and had a quickie, you know, whatever. Um, and their partner's love language is gifts. Well, don't get me wrong. It's still going to affect them hor horribly, but that would be different than if they found out their partner was spending lunch breaks with the secretary and buying her gifts. That's mm. like, that's so, um, yeah, now, um, uh, I have to tread very carefully when I say what I'm about to say, because, you know, I don't want to sound sexist or anything, but if you go back to hunter gatherer days, the men were, you know, this is my property. This is my mm. cave. These are my kids. This is my wife. These are my property. And I think a lot of men have a very, very hard time with the sexual aspect of mm. um, things when women have more of a hard time. And I don't want to paint a broad brush. I want to be careful. Mm -hmm. But what I find with the emotional connection. Sure. Um, so men that I've worked with have an easier time getting over an emotional connection rather than a physical connection. And women have an easier time getting over the um, physical connection over the emotional connection. Again, it's not all the times, uh, you know, but um, just to answer your question. Yeah, no, that's interesting. That's interesting. And what about um, betrayal trauma and say LGBTQ couples? Is there is there a difference than say a cis couple? So um, there's no difference whatsoever. There's no difference whatsoever with the exception of they don't have the resources and the freedom that a cis couple would. So for instance, uh, a, a lot of uh, the couples that I work with, um, they don't have supportive families. 
So mm -hmm. like, you know, if somebody in a, in a heterosexual relationship, something happens, they can call their mother and their mother can say, I'm so sorry, honey. I'm so sorry, honey. When, you know, somebody in a same gender relationship can call, can't call their parent. And if they do, it'll be like, well, you shouldn't be doing that disgusting stuff anyways. So they mm -hmm. don't have the same resources. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing too, uh, the average heterosexual doesn't have to um, be completely lost in, during D-Day and, and, and their mind hijacked and have to worry about an affirming mental health professional. When somebody that's in a same gender relationship, they're not only going through the, the horrendous explosion and implosion, but now they have to find somebody who's welcoming and affirming. So um, the, the, the hurt uh, is the same, but the help and the resources are much more challenging and difficult. Wow, man. There's so much to this. You, I mean, it's it's so it's such a complicated area, and it's just so funny because that's a that's a thing that you that you find again. You know, they, I'm sure there are people who are listening to this, and they and they're thinking to themselves. They're thinking to themselves, well, if my spouse did this, did X, Y, and Z, I'd be gone. There'd be no questions. You just don't know what you're going to do till you got you get there. You know, you just don't know. You don't know. And listen, uh, one of the, I'm also a, um, uh, uh, well, I call it a matrimony co coordinator. So I, I marry people. I'm a wedding officiant. And so many times I'll see young couples in front of me and preferably they took some premarital coaching, but if they don't, that's their option. And I'll say, man, when you are saying, um, I do, you don't even know who the I am is that's saying I do. Mm -hmm. Um, cause you're young. And boy, when we say for better or for worse, we have no clue what the crap that for better or <laughs> for worse so is. True. Um, you know, uh, it's um, so true. But I'll tell you another thing too. Betrayal trauma is a secret hell. This is why. If you lose a parent, your neighbors bring, you know, dinner over, your boss gives you a week off of, you know, um, grieving time, mourning time. Um, your, your coworkers come and show you support and your family calls and says, I'm so sorry. You have trauma from betrayal, especially because it comes with shame, guilt, some embarrassment. You can't go to your job and say, I need some broken heart time off. There's no such thing. And if you do take some time off, their boss is going to want to know why. So you got, you know, you got to explain that. And no, it's, it's, it's a secret life of hell. You don't want to tell some family members because if there's that small hope you might reconcile, you don't want them to judge you. But yet you need people to talk to. It's living hell. Yeah, I mean, makes sense. And I think there's a level of that too. Maybe, you know, maybe not. The experiences I've I've seen with men, it's it's even it's even harder because it's kind of. Uh, I can only speak to the tradition of being Mormon. You know. Um, it's so counterintuitive. It, it goes against the narrative. Traditionally, the narrative is, you know, you got the guy. There's a lot of stay-at-home moms in the Mormon faith, right? And so it's it's the doting housewife and the overbearing narcissistic man who went off and did all this crazy stuff outside of what the religion is, you know. And so then they, they went crazy. And then, you know, everyone kind of rallies around the woman. And, and when you're the man, there there's this level of um, shame to it because, you know, how, how did this happen to me? And, uh, and then also the experience from the faith leaders is different, you know, uh, and, and, and you're right, you know, so you sit there and you're, you're in this place where you have to sit there and think to yourself, you know, uh, who, you, you don't, 
nobody really nobody really cares you got to provide you know not that they don't care but it's like well you know we don't have a choice you got to keep going you know what i mean and so you go and you just you don't have time to feel the emotions so you just bury it down you know and then you just you you know and then you even feel the nothing so deeply you know what i mean and you just it's a it's a tough road when you're when you're a guy and you have to deal with that stuff you know it's a it's an interesting it's a very interesting dichotomy because uh, you're expected to just you know you're just expected to deal with it uh yeah and i think there's a lot of societal things that go along with that for instance um with women a lot of times their focus is oh he just wanted his wiener wet okay mm -hmm. but with men it's like why wasn't i man enough for you why wasn't you know was i not strong enough was i not you know what what why was i not man enough so that's the that's that's the in another uh narrative in a, a narrative internal narrative story that we have to um and it's not necessarily you know betrayal has everything to do with the other person so you know this is why but yeah we personalize it you know yeah. i say all the time um if you have a gun right now on your kitchen table it's not going to hurt anybody if nobody's if it, if nobody's in the kitchen or it's not loaded it's a gun on your table you can have a gun loaded but if nobody picks it up nobody's going to get hurt the only time somebody gets hurt is if there's a loaded gun and somebody chooses to pick it up aim pull the trigger and fire so you could people could gain 600 pounds have one tooth beat their kids whatever that that's all marital stuff once you decide i'm going to act outside the marriage that's all on you so even if you you know because people say all the time i'll talk to people and they're like well i can understand why he or she did this i i i, I worked a lot i wasn't you know supportive to her needs she know like, whoa, 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 whoa. You can have a hundred percent of responsibility in where your relationship was, where your marriage was, but you guys were in the same boat. Mm -hmm. She decided to jump off that boat and do something else. You have no responsibility with that decision. Yeah. And so, um, so I, you know, that's one of the things that I try and tell people, cause again, you know, with a lot of women, it's like, they're, they're pissed. Cause it's like, you know, he just wanted his cake and eat it too. And with men, a lot of times it's, you know, the, the narration is why wasn't I manly enough? Why wasn't I man enough or whatever? I mean, again, I don't want to paint a broad brush with whatever, but we have to understand people uh, seek out other people, not because they necessarily want to look for somebody else. They're looking for a different part of themselves. Mm. It's not because they don't love the person they're with. It's because they stopped loving who they were. So it has mm. nothing to do with the person has everything to do with the person who acted out. Yeah, and that's a hard that's a that's a hard thing to accept, you know. Very uh, hard. It's it's very hard to accept, especially because I think that when you're going through this stuff, it, it you like you said that it I think there's a lot of self-reflection. Because like it like it's like we talked about at the very beginning. It's not just this person betrayed me. It's this person that I how did I pick a person who would betray me how did i allow myself to be put in this position how so you there's a lot of self-reflection with that and it's really hard to accept that someone there was there was something else inside of someone i heard i heard a therapist one time say it this way if if somebody you know you're, you're sitting there and you're talking to somebody 
about this uh, the trail and they and the person goes well if, if only I'd be happy if this person just did this and then the person did that and they go well yeah okay that's great but I also need him to do this and I also need to do this eventually the problem is not the person not dressing right not working out enough not making enough money eventually it goes to this person is just unhappy and project projecting their unhappiness on somebody else when it's really an internal issue um, but how do you how do you do that with somebody who cannot look inward? You know, it's a struggle. Yeah, it is. Which is why um, uh, infidelity, like I said, is the big eye opener. It's like somebody had a heart attack. You know, when somebody has a heart attack, they're like, okay, um, was there any genetic con component to this? Was I eating right? Was I exercising? Was I meditating? Like, you know, why did I have a heart attack? You know, whatever. Same thing after infidelity. Um, everybody has to do a, an audit of their relationship and then a personal audit. And if people are doing the independent work, I mean, really ideally, and I know it's difficult because there's a financial aspect to this, but ideally people would be talking to their own therapists or co coaches and then a relationship coach because, um, you have to understand there was a breakdown in the relationship and that needs help, but there was also a breakdown in who you were and that needs help too. So. This is not for the faint-hearted. It's not for little girls and little boys. This is uh, this is tough stuff. It's really tough stuff. <laughs> you brought you brought up, you know, those young couples. Again, you know, being Mormon, we we get married. It, it just culturally, it's not like required, but culturally, you know, people get married super quick. I mean, like, you know, I we serve these missions for our church, and then we come back, and, and the men. I have my own opinions of why, but like the, the men end up picking up girls and they're in their late teens, early twenties. The guys are in their early twenties and they get married six months later. You know, they start dating and they get married six months, nine months, a year later, you know, and, and then they, they expect to, you know, it's so interesting because you're just not going to be that same person when you're in your forties that you were in your twenties. And unless you are really working at growing together, you are going to grow apart, you know? But it was so funny. My mom and I went to a wedding. This was a, probably a couple of years ago. We went to a wedding together of this kid we knew. And we just looked at him. And I remember looking at my mom. And, and my mom goes, what do you think they're saying? And I go, probably saying something stupid. Like, let's not go to bed angry. You know? <laughs> like, it was like, you know, they're sitting there like, let's not fight. We're not going to be, you know, I was like, they have no idea the tumultuous, like the waves ahead and, you know, if you don't have somebody who is committed, ride or die, no matter what, you, you can't survive it. You know, you have to yeah. be all in and, and you have to be all in and willing to do the work and look past the the uh, imperfections, you know. Yeah. The, 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 the big difference with infidelity is we can ride or die if we're in the same boxing ring together. And that's what happened. Married couples come get married. And what happens is they get back to back in the boxing ring. Anything that comes our way, we got each other's back. Bills come, we got each other's back. Family problems come, we got each other's back. Medical issues, we got each other's back. Those are all ride or die, absolutely. The difference, though, it's very hard when one person steps away from having their back, steps out of a relationship, and it's with somebody else. You've re you removed yourself from the marital protection. Hmm. And so, yes. I do believe in ride or die if we're together. And I'm, 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 not, I'm, I'm saying like just you're in the context of what you were saying. 
Absolutely. I agree with you. Couples should, it should be ride or die no matter what. If we get married and then the next day I find out I'm in the last stages of cancer, hey, I'm, I'm still, we're still together. We're going to do this together. But it's different for people because once they step out of that marital ring, it's like, listen, yes, it's, it's, I told you we're together forever no matter what. But that is when outside things come to us. You went outside and looked for this. I, I, that's, you know, you took that out of my out of my thing. So I tell people all the time, and not necessarily with infidelity, if you are not in your bathroom bawling with your head in your hand saying, I don't know if I can do this one more day, you're not in a real marriage. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's with somebody it's, 40, 50, 60 years and not as Do you know who um, uh, Billy Graham was? Oh, yeah. Mm hmm. His wife, Ruth Graham, one time she was on TV and she was in an interview and uh, um, the interviewer said, you guys have been married 50 years. What's your secret? And I loved what she said. She said, you know what? Billy and I, when we first got married, um, we said each we said divorce is off the table. Divorce is not an option. We don't mention divorce. We don't talk about divorce. Divorce is not an option. Murder, however, that's a different story. And it's so true because <laughs> how many times do you want to wring your spouse's neck when you're married? That's, you know, that's, that's, yeah, it's, you know, you can't be with somebody. And, and, and you're right about the growing together. I, I say all the time, much more than human beings, we're human evolvements. You have, you're, if you're growing, so you not only have to know who you are, the new you as you're growing, your spouse has to continually get to know this new person, just as you need to build bridges to this new person. You guys have to hopefully grow together, understand each mm -hmm. other, you know, because yeah. people are human involvements. Mm -hmm. So real quick, and I know I've had you for a long time, but I want to ask you, so let's just, let's assume the person, it didn't work out. You know, you, you just, you had somebody on the other side that uh, just wasn't, wasn't willing to put in the effort and just decided it's, it's time to go. Um, what, what would you recommend to that person who's now going to be going out there and being that 60 year old out in the dating pool, you know, that person who's going to be out there trying to find this new them who they didn't think they were going to be after 20, 30 years of marriage, um, and trying to put that all together. What, what are some recommendations? So listen, I will give some recommendations, but let me just say this. There's people that have been together dating for 40 years. They finally get married and two weeks later, they're divorced. And there's people that meet, get married two months and they're, they're together for 60 years. Sometimes it's just, there's a lot of variables in relationships. So yeah, certainly there's certain things where that are, you know, in stone, you know, hardcore, you know, A, B, and C. But it's not necessarily the, the, the things that bring a couple together that matter. It's the things that keep a couple together. You know, mm -hmm. do you have similar goals? Do you have mm -hmm. similar um, values? Not similar interests because you can introduce each other to your interests and maybe open up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, I'm married going on 21 years and um, I introduced my spouse to all kinds of music. I call good music, you know. So, <laughs> right, um, right. So, I mean. You know, absolutely, our interests are couldn't be more separate. But are our fundamental goals the same? Are our priorities the same? Are bound? You know, so um, I think knowing who you are, 
not compromising on your core beliefs, on your um, boundaries, but also being very flexible and being um, patient and loving and understanding, which could be difficult when you get older because life has a way of jading you. Right, right. You know, <laughs> it's it's funny what you brought up too is uh, you, you mentioned having different interests. I think that's okay so long as each person in the relationship is willing. I'll, I'll tell the story from my mission. I was on my mission and I was having a hard time with one of my, we call them companions, the, the guy I was I was working with. And I, you know, you're with him 24 hours a day, seven days a week for six weeks or three months or however long you're together. And I was having a hard time with this one particular companion. We just were so different. And the, one of my leaders said to me, he goes, you know, my dad and my brother were really struggling. My brother loved golf. My dad hated golf. My dad learned to golf so he could go play golf with my brother. And I remember thinking to myself, I go, you know what? Like, so, you know, with my kids, like, you know, my daughter, my daughter loves the theater. I, I like the theater, but I'm not, I, you know, I don't care enough about the theater to have season tickets to Broadway Sacramento, but my daughter loved it so much that I bought them so that we could foster that and, and have a relationship. And, and I think that that's what's so important is you can have diverse. That's one of the things I love about having my kids is they're all so different than me. And it just, I don't know where they got it, but, but you can have that, right? You can have a situation where maybe you don't like the same things, but as long as you're willing to take a couple hours and go do something that your significant other wants to do, you can make it work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, real quick, I just want to, there was a, a, a famous child psychologist um, one time. He said, before kids, I had six theories. Now I have six kids and no theories. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It, real quick, I know we're, we're we, like I said, I've kept you for a long time. But uh, um, I got to, I got to ask you, you, you put on topics you love to discuss 80s music. And I am an 80s. I love everything 80s from movies to music. My kids are thoroughly introduced to all things 80s, you know, Whitney Houston, Bon Jovi, Madonna, Cyndi Lauper. They're into all that stuff. What kind of 80, what, what kind of 80s? Are you in pop culture stuff or is there some sort of different things? So you could, um, you could go, you could go 80s like Guns N' Roses, Skid Row, or you could go Whitney Houston, Madonna. So. Yeah. So, um, although I'm familiar and I enjoy some of them, I'm not a big um, hairband fan. Okay. Um, I'm, you know, uh, I love One Hit Wonders. Okay. Um, and I love your typical '80s. Sure. Um, but I just want to say something real quick. I uh, am from New York. Okay. And I used to watch VH, uh, MTV or VH1. I forgot which one. I think VH1. Do you remember that show? Oh yeah, I know. I remember okay. the channel. Yeah, the channel. Wait, no, I'm sorry. It's MTV, the original VJs okay. of MTV. Okay, so yeah. anyway, um, I love the 80s. I listen to the 80s a lot. As a matter of fact, my kids always come in the kitchen and say, oh, my gosh, Cindy Lauper and Tina Turner again. I mean, you know, I'm always listening to them. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I, I went to Switzerland twice to uh, visit Tina Turner's home because she retired to Switzerland. I, I, oh, I'm a my goodness. Anyway, wow. um Anyway, so I went to California uh, a couple years ago, maybe like five years ago, and I took an Uber, and in the Uber was a, a 80s song after 80s song after 80s song after 80s song. And I asked the guy, I said, what channel is this? And he said, it's 103.7 KOSF. And I said, I am downloading that as soon as I get back to New York, you know, whatever. 
So I come back to New York and I download 103.7 KOSF. And you know who the, the DJ of that, the big DJ? Martha no. Quinn. I don't know if you know who Martha Quinn is. She I was don't. one of the original DJs of MTV. Oh, so wow. I listened to 103.7 and last Christmas they had a, um, a thing. If you can call in and name five things in 10 seconds that Santa has in his sleigh, you win A, B, and C. So I start calling in. I start calling in and um, I couldn't believe it. I got through and I, congratulations. Can you name five things in 10 seconds that Santa Claus brings on his sleigh for, you know, whatever I had to win. And so I'm like, you know, presents, dolls, you know, I'm like going off on these things. And they're like, congratulations. And um, so then I went off air to get my address. And I said, by the way, I love Martha Quinn. I watch Martha Quinn with or whatever. And she said, hold on a second. And all of a sudden I hear, hello, it's Martha Quinn, the original <laughs> DJ, nice. DJ of MTV. I said, Martha, you? because she was born in Albany, which is like an hour from me. So, uh -huh. um, so it, that just an 80s story that I love, but yeah. um, absolutely love all the 80s. Um, um, I, I wish we could play 80s trivia someday. On, oh. um, man, all I got to hear is one or two notes. Got it. Oh man, name that tune in the eighties. I'll tell you what. Yeah. Oh, I would love yeah. that. I told you. I told you off air. My kids. They're they're so funny. I have this. I have this deal on Sundays where we do breakfast or brunch depending on when we wake up, and uh, and and I, the rule is if you come and you help, you can come and help. Uh, if you don't help, you have to do the dishes. And we're always listening to eighties stuff. Sometimes we're listening to some nineties boy bands and stuff like that. But usually it's the eighties stuff, and then we film it. We put it on our Instagram story and all that. They think they're like YouTube stars now. And, uh, and we just have a great time. And so they are all thoroughly, I mean, we're in the car and like, a, you know, uh, um, living on a prayer comes on and they're just singing like crazy and, you know, they, and all that stuff. And I'm like, I'm a proud dad that I know that I've fed them the eighties and, uh, all the eighties movies too. They, they love them all. So it's good stuff. So, yeah, well, well, listen, I appreciate you indulging me and giving me almost two hours of your time. Uh, if somebody wanted to come and talk to you, you're you're the guy. They have betrayal and they want to they want to work with you. Where can they find you? So my website, I think, is the easiest website ever. It's Mr. J Relationship Coach dot com. Um, uh, but here's what I tell people. Even if you never want to talk to me, see me, hear from me. Just go to my website anyways, because I have a lot of free resources on there. I, I have links. I have videos. Um, uh, I'm on, obviously, all the social media. Um, have like, I don't know, 20,000 followers on TikTok. Um, but but my whole thing is um, I, I want to give people the resources to to help themselves on their journey. So again, mrjrelationshipcoach.com, even if you never make an appointment with me, take advantage of all the free content I have um, in uh, uh, on my website. But see, now you got me in 80s mode, so I got to ask you a question. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to name, um, uh, um, okay, you tell me uh, what, what song was original and what song wasn't original. Can you do that? Okay. Okay, we'll see. I don't know. I, I I might I might not be very good at this. We'll see. Okay, girls just want to have fun. Uh, that wasn't original, right? No, nope. wasn't original. Uh, Who originally sang that? Uh, it was actually it was uh, a a um a, a guy. Really? Yeah. The 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 and the lyrics were changed just a little bit. Okay. Um, what's love got to do with it? I don't think that was original. 
No, that was a British group that did the original. How about, I believe the children are our future, the greatest love of all. That that wasn't original, right? No, it wasn't original. That's what I thought, yeah. Yeah, no. I'm every woman. That was that was original, wasn't it? Well, no. And here's what's interesting: it wasn't. It, Whitney did it, and oh. she did it from Shaka Khan, but Shaka Khan took it from somebody else. So, oh, that's right. what's interesting about the '80s. Is but, anyways, '80s. No, there's no doubt. '80s was the best music decade ever. Um, mm-hmm. If I could live in the '80s, I mean, oh my gosh, the 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 scented, smelly stickers, the 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 stickers that were puffed out like the smurfs and stuff um the invisible the transparent phones i don't know if you remember those you can see through them um the shows of the 80s the clothes of the 80s um oh my gosh the 80s was the was the bomb jiggity well there's a reason why i mean like you you know you you watch uh, like the wedding singer is so is so popular that movie was so good so good so good yeah it's so good and it encapsulated the 80s perfectly oh man my kids, they just joke with me about how old I am because I love this stuff so much. But the thing is, is they love it, too. You know, they love it, too. They So, but oh, yeah, uh, but it, I hear my son singing in the shower. Which is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, well, listen, Mr. J, it's been a pleasure. Let's do this again. We're going to have to do a whole episode just on the 80s. We'll just have to do a whole episode just talking about 80s, 80s stuff and, and things of that nature. But um, awesome. if you if you guys have uh, enjoyed this, you, you've survived the whole two hours, uh, you know, check out Mr. J relationship coach dot com. Subscribe to the podcast. we got a bunch more exciting stuff coming up. Uh, thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate your time. Give me your time. So thank you so yeah. much. No problem. All right. We'll see you guys later.